All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Crypto Mining Tools podcast. We have your uh, host here, Scott Offord, and your co-host, Ethan Zerka. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. And, and today, our special yeah. guest, <laughs> JP Barrick. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. Yeah, so today uh, we have a really exciting episode, um, and JP has, has been in the mining space for a while, uh, longer than I am. I'm like maybe twice his age, uh, but he's been in, in mining longer than me. Um, how old are you, JP? I am 22. Wow, that, that is yeah. crazy. And and you are like uh, creating this empire uh, of your own already. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a lot of work over the past really five you know five years of mining and kind of figuring out where I wanted to end up in the space and what I want to work on. It's really interesting to talk to people that are in traditional real estate and realize just how easy it is to access bank liquidity, how easy it is to access that type of capital. When it comes to miners, you know, it's something that I've never been able to experience in my life, and it's been an interesting thing just to kind of see, in my opinion, that really that discrimination from from the banks and from the financial institution for the mining community and mining world. Uh, as a young entrepreneur, you know, this is my first rodeo, my first really big business going at it. And yep. not being able to have those bankable assets has put a strain on just capital raising and made it a little bit challenging. But I think that's the part of the part of the point of them doing it. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, you, you've been dealing with uh, lenders and all that your uh, almost your whole life. I, I think the first experience you had was when you were 13 and, and you had to beg your mom for some money to buy into this <laughs> internet money. Yeah, well, thankfully yeah. I had the money because I had a robotics camp that I was running. So nice. I just had to beg her for her identity and was like, yeah. Mom, you need to buy Bitcoin. I'll give you the money. Don't worry. And so that was, I think, an easier sell because it wasn't her money to lose. But, and she wasn't very concerned about like losing her identity because I don't know she the internet was yeah. a confusing thing in 2012 or 2013 for people <laughs> just on their you know the desktops so but yeah bought Bitcoin at Mt Gox and then saw the writing on the wall that it was going to go down and took all of it off and then started the so you trading. you got out before the uh, the fiasco happened with with Mt Gox. yeah in my opinion it was pretty obvious that it was going to happen maybe even a year before like it was pretty like, okay, this company is not well run. There's going to have liquidity problems there. You know, once the hack happened, it was like, okay, is there really going to be enough coins to get out? You know, thankfully mm -hmm. I didn't only had maybe 20 or 30 coins at the time on the site. So it wasn't like I was a thousand holder and it was like a problem to withdraw my money. Uh, but yeah, definitely mm -hmm. started self-custing as fast as possible after kind of that hack. And then you had Mint Pal and Cripsy and all these really old altcoin exchanges that would pop up and go down. MTX now is another good one that was very popular back in 2013, mm -hmm. 2014. So yeah, just really understanding that self custody piece at a at an early age in the development. Yeah. Um, without you know maybe making an endorsement in, in your idea, I mean just for the noobs out there, um, what would you recommend uh, as an exchange for them to use? Because there are a lot of people now that I know of that I'm trying to help them you know get coin and things like that and you know i know my you know what i have a preference for but i'm just curious since you've been in it for so long you know do you have a preference um i actually i do have a preference on exchanges i have i you know used to love i used to be a big proponent of gemini then their fees are just you know way too high for <laughs> anyone who's normally buying coin um and i actually recently just started using tagomi um, I really like their platform. It matches with all the other exchanges. It 
does a very good job. Like if you sell uh, three or four Bitcoins, um, you're maybe going to pay a hundred dollar fee. Um, mm-hmm. and, and selling that, it'll match with OTC providers as well. Um, it'll match with different exchanges and get you the best rate on your on your order. Um, and it fills very quickly. Um, I've seen that it's a very fast trading engine. Um, so that's what I tell people to go to now. And it's in the mm-hmm. U.S. institutional base, backed by some big VCs. So um, they're you know they're well backing, and I was one of their very first customers, and really enjoy the the company and the software and, the, and really the support. It's great. Like wires are almost sometime instantly. Like I'll request a wire withdrawal, oh, wow. and it'll be in my bank the same day. And I'm like, and like an hour later, I'm like, how is that even possible? What about um, I think it's called ACH transfers. Yeah, those you know those take longer. Um, usually like three to five days. I think they have those, but uh, just you know for funds, we, I usually use the wire transfer method. Okay, but I like it because like you can like you can withdraw the money at nine a.m. It'll be in your bank at nine thirty, and it's like I've never wow. seen it. Yeah, that that is very nice. That is very handy. <laughs> <laughs> After you're done trading, you can sell and pay your power bill, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I've I've never uh, heard of that service before, but it, it's nice to hear that it, it is a U.S. based company. Yeah, I mean, I, for people in the U.S., you know, I. We, we like our, our U.S. financial protection, and it's hard mm-hmm. for us to give that away and even our data protection. And also, if you're not in the U.S., it's very hard to serve U.S. customers, mm-hmm. especially the fiat bridge there. So, you know, usually I suggest that. And for people that are just like not very serious traders, I say Cash App. It's mm-hmm. quick and easy to get Bitcoin. Um, it's great at a bar to be able to, like, hey, you have Bitcoin? No. Awesome. Well, yeah. here, buy $10. I'll bet yeah. you. I'll buy $10, too. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, and, and you said, uh, let's just go back here. Brett yeah. is asking, uh, what's the name of that exchange? And you said Tagomi. Yep, Tagomi. T A G O M I. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe we've got it in the uh, the chat there. And uh, now, do they have a lot of different coins there, or is it kind of like Coinbase, where you know they've only got you know ten or twelve coins? Like they have, um, I would say, at least fifteen trading, like fifteen okay. coins with different trading pairs. Um, so it's not a thousand like Binance, but it is a decent amount. Now, Binance is kind of overwhelming to me. I would not recommend that to a, a noob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, actually, the only reason I use Binance is uh, to exchange between uh, USDC and USDT when I'm uh, paying a supplier, maybe over in China, because they they really like uh, USDT. But it's really easy for me to go from. Uh, <clears throat> Like USD to BTC and you know whatever maybe on Coinbase yeah. and then transfer that over to Binance to then exchange over to something else. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a good way to do that, so now I need to make yeah. a Binance. <laughs> <laughs> Binance also really has really good fees. So you know if if I'm going to do a, a large trade, um, I will tend to try to to make it happen over in the Binance world and. Not in the Coinbase world. I mean, they they all have their pluses and minuses, and so that's why I was just really curious, like in your experience, and and you seem you know well researched. You know, you you've kind of been around since I I guess the beginning. Like the people before you were like you know mathematicians, and like you know nobody's <laughs> even heard of anymore. You know, so um, you know the OGs. You know, you know Charlie Shrem, and and yeah. you know yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, that's really awesome. And that's really awesome that, you know, you, you discovered it, I believe 
how did you find out about cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin? Like what what convinced you as, you know, a, a young teenager, like this is something I want to try. This is something I've got to do because most teenagers I know are just like, you know, I want to play my video games or I want to listen to my music with the distorted auto tune and, and you know, doing doing Those weird things. So, yeah, I tell you. Yeah, so for me, why did I get into this space and what was like the intrigue? So when I was 13, 14 years old, I was coming in freshman year in high school um, and we could bring our laptops to school, which was amazing. So no one would, I didn't I didn't pay attention in class. Really, most of my class didn't pay attention. It was an early college I went to. There was only 50 kids, all guys in high school, freshman year. So we're, we're on our computers and kind of just playing around and you're reading you know, news articles and trying to always figure out you know, what am I doing here? I got a lot of free time. And I ended mm -hmm. up on this article about Bitcoin on TechCrunch, found out that um, it looked really cool. I was like, this seems cool. Internet money, like, why not? Why not money on the internet? Then went in the rabbit hole of learning what Bitcoin was and trying to get some, which I wasn't able to successfully do, but I was able to learn a lot, learned about the Byzantine generals problem, you know, was reading Wikipedia about where money started, why, you know, why we have money, what, what Bitcoin is, how, you know, read the white paper. Kind of went down that and most people as a lot of people say the rabbit hole of, of bitcoin and over about you know eight weeks started started learning more and more and then finally got some amount gox um i think for me why it resonated with me is because at a young age i really i i i guess i identified as almost like a libertarian and okay. i really value like free speech and being able to hold a strong conviction of what i believe to be true and i believe that you know money is is backed by hard work and that you know you need to put in, you know, time and have and thought and have debt or some instrument working for you to be able to really keep um, this this cash worth something, this dollar in our pocket. And at a young age, I was trying to figure out why does this dollar we all say is worth one dollar have, have real worth. And that kind of read, uh, led me down my mentioned that money path. And so I started understanding like how important, you know, data and financial privacy was, how important Bitcoin's role is in the future when we have, uh, you know, really just massive amounts of, of inflation and uh, printing of money and, and the recent COVID-19 stimulus packages out to Wazoo. And yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's been a way to really protect myself from a monetary system that works for me instead of against me. And I feel like that's how I view Bitcoin is it's a system that has allowed me to travel the world um, at, as a young, at a young age. It's allowed me to, to live on the Bitcoins that I've owned. I've never had to work a, like a, a nine to five job that I didn't want to work. Um, you know, for money just directly, I was able to be, uh, you know, use my time to really educate myself about where the space was going and build in the space, which was something that I don't think would be possible without the kind of like economics and incentives that Bitcoin provides people that use it. Um, and so my my classmates, you know, I tried to get them into Bitcoin. Eventually, they all jumped in and I would say not not all of them, but maybe. 10 of the 50. I, I bet you the ones who didn't are just like, why <laughs> didn't I listen to him? Well, it's, it's honestly, I, I, I wish that too. But after eight years, <clears throat> you know, seven years of preaching Bitcoin, it still hasn't got that adoption. Even in my own family, I asked a question. I was like, so who's using their stimulus money to buy Bitcoin? You understand <laughs> everyone in the world just got, everyone in the US just got this money. You know, yeah. that's going to be worth less because it just was printed. No one had to work for it. You didn't have to work for your money. You just got mm -hmm. it for sitting on your couch. Yeah, and it yeah. still hasn't clicked yet. There's still, why is Bitcoin valuable? I don't get it. So I'm hoping over the next four years, we'll really have a, a wake up of people, especially in my younger generation, that are starting to question, uh, you know, what type of money they're using and why they should care about Bitcoin. Yeah. 
Yeah. I that, really, really hope that's true, Jamie. <laughs> I absolutely hope that's true. No, I mean, and that's really interesting that you say that, you know, talking about inflation. Um, one of the things that I had in my mind was, okay, so the U.S. prints trillions of dollars, and then they decide to give uh, a little portion of that to only people in the United States, right? Which, uh, so what does that do to people that live in other countries that are depending on the, the fact that, you know, the, the world is basically run off of this U.S. dollar standard that, you know, they, they didn't get this extra money when it was printed, but everybody else in America did. Yeah. It's, I it's, did not get any, any stimulus. No. Just, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> I uh, haven't got my check either. It says on the IRS yeah. payment tool, like we don't know who you are basically. So oh, yeah, no. yeah, I, I'm, yeah. You guys I'm are libertarian, too libertarian. Just like you, JP. Yeah. So. <laughs> but on, Scott, to your question, um, I don't, I think, you know, worldwide, when we're printing a lot of money, the U.S. is the leading leading force and the dollar is the reserve currency of the world. We saw that with the flight, you know, not into yen when there's COVID-19, everyone wanted dollars. Um, I was actually reading Pomp's newsletter this morning and he was talking about Lebanon and how the price there is falling of their currency. Uh, you know, they're releasing restrictions. There's riots on the street. People can't buy milk. People can't buy food. So my guess is that scenario will occur in multiple countries over the next four years. Um, similar to what it did in Argentina, Venezuela, you know, oil prices being what they are, they're, they're struggling. There's these countries that have really nowhere to turn and it'll be very interesting to see where the people turn to. I don't know the, I don't think the governments will turn to Bitcoin, but the people that that's where, you know, I hope that they, that the resources and tools, the onboarding systems that we've been building, um, the fiat on ramps for the past, you know, eight years as the industry's matured, I hope right. that's where the people turn. Um, I hope they start to realize that until I get control of my money, I'm not going to have control of my freedom, of my, mm -hmm. my life, my day-to-day -day tasks on what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time. Because it's if you don't have control of your financial freedom, you're, 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 you're almost like a, a hamster stuck in a cage, you know, always trying to get, the, get that next dollar to pay that next bill. And a lot yeah. of us can feel like that sometimes. And it's because we have these really big external pressures that are working against us. In, you know, inflation, interest rates, big macro uh, forces of energy, really, that are make it hard for everyone to function in a society where if you're not, if you're not up by the faucet, per se, you're, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting uh, analogy, you know, um, at the faucet. Yeah, I, I know you guys as, as a company are working on some interesting things, and we could talk about that soon. But you, you did mention uh, oil, you know, and I, I guess... What I was learning this week is that really everything comes down to oil, like the entire energy. world. Yeah, energy, but but definitely energy. like oil. Um, you know, it it makes the world run. It, it, everybody needs it. Um, yeah, and and so um, yeah. Well, well, what are you that, like with the oil conversation? It's like it's really it is eye opening to understand how much the world is run and backed by energy and oil. And I didn't realize that until we ended up hiring a consultant who helps build these power plants. And this was about a year ago. And we realized how this whole space is built, how energy companies build these massive billion dollar projects, how they're funded, who who's exactly putting up the capital for them, who is, you know, who's buying the power and understanding this whole economics of the energy system and understanding that energy, the industry is usually the biggest in industry in most um, countries. It's not banking. It's not tech. It's energy because mm -hmm. we all need power. We all run day to day on electricity. 
and sure. it fuels our life. What I think what's going to happen though is over the next, it's going to be a long time, but over the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're really moving from currency backed by oil, like the US dollar, to currency backed by electrons, like Bitcoin and other currencies mm -hmm. that are using miners, which in, in my eyes is the really the basic definition of work, putting electricity, creating heat, really it's creating energy and using it. So being yeah. able to provably create energy at a cheap price and use that energy um, is kind of really important for Bitcoin and why Bitcoin has value and has maintained its value is because we're really questioning what is money backed by? Should it be backed by oil? Should it be backed by gold? Or should it be backed by electrons, which are free to, you know, anyone can make one. And as long as you understand how to make energy and that that price will keep coming down and <clears> on the cost to create energy and um, the cost to consume it as well with these Bitcoin miners, they'll get more efficient and the system will continue to run. So I'm excited for, for what that, you know, how that shift happens and when yeah. that occurs. So you know a lot about mining and, and the mining space. I imagine you, you've been doing it for quite some time. Can you tell us how that began? So we know, we know the story of like how you got your first Bitcoin. When did you say, you know, hey, I can buy these machines and I don't have to go to exchange anymore. I can actually use these machines to mine my own coin. Yeah, so it was shortly after the whole um, Bitcoin kind of the whole purchase of the Bitcoins for me. Um, I was uh, a tech nerd in high school and I loved building computers. Um, I loved like working with graphics cards and understanding how to how to how to make money from computers. So I was selling them on Craigslist and basically buying computers, like buying parts, putting them together. So were you you were building like mining rigs and you were selling them? Yeah, well, yeah, that's no, awesome. I started off without mining rigs. It was more just like normal computers. And then eventually we got to mining rigs and yeah, I was building them, running them in my basement out of like the shoe box. It's like kind of like the shoe crate type of style where you'd put like five graphics cards across, have a motherboard. I had two rigs in my basement. <laughs> I had to run some new power down there. And then eventually it got big enough where I built a shed in the backyard. And then we moved to a facility. What, what, what was your mom thinking about all this? Like, <laughs> oh, there's JP with those damn computers again. And, you know, Honestly, he's... I think my parents were just very, they were supportive. They didn't they really were supportive. Understand where it was going, but they were supportive. They were like, you know, he's not asking us for to pay these bills. He's paying the power bill, you know, for his miners. He's, he's making this digital currency. Like he's time, not, he's not going to jail. He's not, smoking right. dope. you know, he's not yes. I'm, I'm murdering people. He should be out there getting high with his friends. <laughs> What's he doing in that shed spending all that electricity on? I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, it was. Uh, I went down that route of just building miners and selling them, and that's kind of how the early days of mining store started. We did a um, uh, million dollars in revenue in in I think two months in 2017 in my basement. Wow! It was I was I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay, this is maybe I should wow. look at dropping out of school then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's wild. That let's, is wild, uh, man. Let's uh, talk about that in one second here. Uh, but first, Ethan, why don't you <laughs> tell us how, how we're able to actually keep this podcast running? And uh... Yes, I want to give a big shout out to Brains OS. Um, it, for those of you who don't know, our miners come with a firmware that is from the factory. And just like your iPhone can be jailbroken, that firmware can be replaced with a better operating system. This operating system will open up the performance of your miner and allow you to see metrics and aspects of the miner that the factory firmware doesn't let you do. 
And there are two different versions. One is completely open source. And then the other, I believe, is an enterprise version. And the enterprise version of Brains OS gives you even greater control. And this is really good for large mining farms who have a lot of hash rate. Um, and it allows you to clock down your miners to make them more efficient when the price and value of Bitcoin is low. So you're, you're getting the most amount of Bitcoin for the least amount of energy. And when the price of Bitcoin parabolics up and skyrockets, it allows you to turn on the juice with your miners and get the maximum hash rate out of them so you can get the maximum coin. Um, so yeah, do yourselves a favor, go and unlock your miners. If you're not doing this, you are not mining properly. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks to Brains OS for sponsoring our podcast. And, and we're just uh, very excited to be able to uh, share their product with you guys and their service. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about firmware uh, on this podcast uh, with JP, yes. uh, just because he has a, an interesting situation where uh, he's actually testing out um, new firmware himself. Uh, you know, there's, there's other firmware like uh, this guy Vanish uh, provides. Uh, but yeah, so, but brain OS, they definitely have a great ecosystem. And then they also have their, their, um, slush pool, uh, as well, where, um, I can't remember if you already mentioned this or not. Uh, I didn't, but, I, I was going to let you mention it, but yes, if you use brains OS and you also use slush pool, which they're a part of, you will get 50% lower mining fees. Yeah. Um, and this is a huge thing, you know, because not only are you getting the benefit that the firmware gives you, but you're also getting a reduction in, you know, your pool fees. Yeah. So it's a win-win both ways. Yeah. And so that's on um, their uh, plus version. So that's the, the, the corporate version. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get back here. So um, JP, you know, obviously you're, you're very well versed in this industry. You've, you've been around since the beginning and, I just have to, you know, tip my hat to you for being 22 and being so far ahead of the curve. I mean, most most people your age are just now getting out of school. And even if they don't have a PhD, they still have a PhD. They have a pretty huge debt of student <laughs> loans that that they have to pay back. And, you know, you've just uh, you've cut your own path. You forged your own way. And um your, your knowledge is just impeccable about our financial system and, and awareness about that. I, I think that's one thing that schools should really teach us more about is, you know, what is money and how does it operate in, in an economy? Because most people just think, you know, it's it's a dollar. I have a dollar, I spend a dollar. And that, that's all it is. It's just, you know, addition and subtraction. It has, it has no concept. It has no um, understanding beyond that. But it, it you know, really is... You know, money is one thing, equity is another thing, assets are another thing, and and people just don't know about all the different varieties of value that yeah. exist. Um, and you you seem to know a lot about that, and that's just amazing. So, uh, you know, tell us about your operations now. Tell us about uh, you know what you're doing to to maximize your returns. Yeah. So right now we have. Um two mining sites that um, are currently operational. One is in New York and it's just a mining container. And then another one is in Iowa. And um, that site has a building on it and two mining containers. Um, it's about 5.4 megawatts total wow. um, and capacity. And yeah, we have a bunch of Avalon 
on machines running there and some a lot of S9s. Um, it's been it's been a journey really building out um, a site in Iowa. Um, container sites are, are fairly easy to deploy. You know, there's not much planning, project planning infrastructure there. You're connecting, mm. you know, switch gear and sometimes just a transformer to your container box and deploying it over a couple of days. Um, but building out a building was uh, was a challenge. Um, it's definitely it was a was an interesting way to approach mining facilities. We were having some issues just getting the containers fully deployed on time. Um, and so we decided, hey, we need to go ahead and, and move forward with a, a larger infrastructure play, something that can be set up faster than containers. And we, we, we got the building set up very quickly. But the actual filling out of the building, the electrical PDUs work, the wiring there, um, and installing a switchgear, kind of the, the shelves and fan deployment, and then actually you know, putting the miners in the shelves, really up to kind of racking and stacking the miners. It was, it was, uh, took a lot of time, partially because I was not on the site. We had, uh, you know, other employees out here that were technicians. Um, we had, you know, some help from local people here in Iowa, um, that wanted that kind of brought us to Iowa and brought us the contracts with the power companies. Um, and they, they, they wanted to do a lot more, I guess, involvement in the project that we were expecting. Um, so there was some project management issues there getting the site up and running fully but it was a great learning experience and we're, we're happy we're able to now you know take everything we learned and scale it to future sites um right now on the site we have like i mentioned a lot of s9s running um previously mm -hmm. kind of going into the, the brains os thing we were running uh asics here which um i've been using for about i would say we've been using it for about six months um actually four months on the on the software um for the that asics here software and then recently um because of actually my podcast appearance we were asked to uh, this this podcast appearance this podcast today. Appearance today, yes, we were asked to basically remove that software from the miners because we were not hashing at their appropriate rate um, according to ASICSEER, and it was not high enough hash rate per watts per terahash. The machines weren't all running. Um, of course, these are machines that have been running for four years now. You know, have been in the yeah, ecosystem yeah. for a long time. And also they're not our highest priority. As you mentioned, we are working on things that are, you know, trying to change this fundamental beliefs of money in the core system. So we we had to move off of that that operating system. Um, we were we were basically forced to, to move either to make a decision, either come on the podcast or don't. Um, if you come on the podcast, we're gonna kick you off this. All your miners will stop working. Um, and if you, <clears throat> um, if you if you don't if you don't go on the podcast, well we'll give you a discount on your fees. And that really didn't sit well for me, especially as I mentioned earlier, you know, being having so, owning so, my data. <laughs> let me let me get this straight. This podcast that we're talking about right now, yep, was being held over your head as you know, like extortion to like if 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 you go on this podcast, you will lose business with us, basically. Yeah, ba basically, and not only lose business, but I you know I will have to spend my tech time, my time resolving the issue and what i kind of was said was that was like you know, i don't appreciate you questioning my calendar like this is just coming in and saying hey you can't get in this meeting like you can't have this meeting with this person unless we're gonna cut you off completely and that was that was hard because for for my relationship with asics here is i was one of the first users of fos which was the software before i had a, a 300 gpu mining facility back in you know when they launched in 2015 26 i guess 2016 with with ethereum and so mm -hmm. to see that like Hey, I can't even use your software anymore. You just have to be kind of like ripped out. It was was very hard for me, as I mentioned, because I like you know data privacy. Yeah. I like my own software. So I'm glad the community was able to help out. Though Scott, you know, was great. He was able to help 
um, motivate some people and just let them know about the story. And then they came and they were able to help upgrade some of the machines to newer software. Of course, you know, they're not going to be running until the end and after the having 15 days from now, but you know, they need to make that money for the next 15 days, especially for um, majority of the miners are ourselves, but we have a, a small, about maybe 5%, 10% of those machines running for customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your story about that. Um, just a little bit of background. The, the reason for this, the reason why he received that threat was because I, I had said something negative about ASICSEER that um, the, the owner of ASICSEER uh, felt was not true. And, and I, I had mean, an in, inkling that. Is it really that negative though, Scott? Is it really negative if you are just literally like reporting information that someone else has told you? Right, yeah. So I, I had reiterated something that somebody had told me about ASICSEER. Uh, and that, that got the owner pretty upset. Um, and it's kind of started this little battle. So, so now, as of yesterday, uh, April 27th, uh, on their website, they have this disclaimer saying, you know, kind of like a, a terms of first service saying, if you associate with uh, certain types of people, um, if, you know, you are a scammer or if you run a Ponzi scheme, whatever, you know, all these different guidelines saying that, uh, if we feel that we don't want to work with you anymore, we're going to not work with you. And the interesting thing is, okay, you know, they, they have some protections built in. One of them being that they're technically not cutting you off themselves. Right. So they say, they, they say that they are going to stop accepting your fees. So they're, mm -hmm. they're going to stop taking their cut. Uh, from the, the dev fee that is on those machines. And because they're going to refuse taking your money, uh, that's going to activate some sort of a, a kill switch. Or that a will stop your hashing. Right. So it, to me, I don't know, that, that just brings up this really interesting concept that I, I don't know if a lot of miners are thinking about. Being that, yeah, I, I think uh, JP, you said it uh, earlier, uh, you know, not not your firmware, not your miners, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it just kind of brings up this whole new thing that we have to think about. So if we're going to be installing third-party software, what are some of these kind of concerns that we have to be uh, looking at? Yeah, absolutely, JP. I mean, you brought in the whole fact that, you know, Bitcoin was, it, it was emotionless. It, it took out the human equation, right? So in should should we now welcome back in a human equation into an industry that's trying to free us from that? Wow, that is that's that's big. I mean, I think with mining at the end of the day, it, it's I mean, every business has that human equation. But with mining, it, it can be potentially removed. Like there's a lot of things that can be done with machines. And really, at the end of the day, the way I view mining is just as an interest tool and a, a great debt based investment. So I do. It is hard, though, when you have, you know, miners running software and you're trusting the developer, they're providing you a, you know, a good service. Um, but then something like, in my opinion, a political like uh, debate, you know, this debate that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I actually it was funny because I saw the debate. I saw Scott's comments earlier in a, a private group chat um, regarding firmware and regarding this. And I specifically told myself. I do not want to get involved with this. I don't have time for this. And the next thing you know, a week later, I have like emails. And stuff. I'm like, oh, this is great. I love it. Like the universe knew I want. I had to be in this. So I was not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So, so that it's an interesting concept. You know, you have these um, ASIC mining manufacturers that have their firmware, and you know when you buy the miner, it comes with this firmware on it, and you just connect it to the pool, and and you can start making Bitcoin, right? Um, and, and each of these miners might have a slightly different version of that firmware on their on their ASICs. Um, but they a lot of them are are based on well most of them or maybe not all all of them except for uh, brains are, yeah. are built on cg minor okay mm -hmm. so yeah you have these different things um a year ago or so there was the concern about ant bleed uh where bitmain potentially could if they wanted to they could shut off all the miners in the world or select miners mm -hmm. uh, that are mining which brought up the question, well, you know, what if the Chinese government is involved with Bitmain? What if sure. China wanted to kind of take over the cryptocurrency and, and cause a problem? China could force Bitmain to do something like that, or Bitmain could just choose to do it kind of underhandedly without anybody re realizing what's happening. You know, and, and that just kind of brought up the whole question to me uh, <laughs> about uh, firmware and about open source and, and about... Um, you know, mining and how easily or, or how difficult it might be to prevent somebody from, from doing this, you know, whether it's a government stepping in and saying, hey, you know, um, maybe United States doesn't like uh, Venezuela uh, making money on Bitcoin. So, so let's uh, figure out some way to restrict them from being able to mine. Right. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, JP, what are your thoughts on, on that whole concept? Well, as you mentioned, it did come into the public eye about a, about a year ago um, with with ASIC boost and over ASIC boost and all that. I think it, it's it's hard. And we've seen that um, software on devices, manufacturers giving even Samsung saying, OK, we're only going to do four years of you know phone upgrades and government saying you need to do eight or you need to do six. And now we have devices all over the world that are, are useless. And in crypto miners, you know, it's four years, basically four to five years until those machines are done. So what is the manufacturer's responsibility, not only to repair the machines, as we saw with Bitmain recently just said, hey, all these old models we're no longer repairing, put your service mm -hmm. tickets in by you know 10 days from now, basically. So we're seeing that, you know, obviously the manufacturer has to ensure the product is maintained and supported. Even for us, we get calls for our GPU mining systems we sold in 2017. People will ask for support on those. And, you know, my technicians now don't work on GPU machines, so they don't have the type of feedback, but they can they send them the guide we put together back then. And that's about as much support as we can offer. It's a lot from a manufacturing standpoint to offer support on the software, fixing vulnerabilities um, that come up, you know, throughout the years. And then in addition, the, the hardware and maintaining that um, and trying to provide support and replacement parts for that. So for me, I, I think that we have to really I think last year we realized that they're integral parts of the ecosystem, the software. Um, and the miners themselves, and they need to be separate. Before they were joint, um, everyone, you know, people didn't really think about it much. Mm -hmm. Now we've separated those, and I hope that uh, manufacturers start to open source their software. I mean, Canon has mentioned it multiple times that mm -hmm. it will happen. Um, I have a bunch of their Avalon machines, so let me know when they do, because I'd love to work, you know, getting good monitoring tools for them. Their, their <laughs> systems they have in place are not the best for managing large mines. Uh, but what we're seeing is that these tools are being kind of <clears throat> built community built to provide value to the end yeah absolutely and are being maintained well by the community and i think that's a, a, a great opportunity for a lot of developers in this space because one thing people don't realize is that miners are always making money you might be might be losing money at the end of the day but miners are always producing revenue when that miner is plugged in it's always making money therefore there's always a fee for a developer um to take some take some of that 
and and to basically build good software uh, for the right. space, which is which is lacking still. You're still oh, that, that's interesting, yeah, because when the developer takes their developer fee, yeah, they, they don't have to sell that immediately to uh, to pay for their electricity bill. So if they wanted to, they could maybe scale up or down their development uh, speed and and maybe save it for another time where where you know maybe they want to cash it in two months from now instead of right now while Bitcoin is low. Um, so yeah, that's that's an interesting concept. Yeah, yeah but- it definitely is. And the management of crypto is one of the hardest things to do well as a miner. Um, risk management is what I've been focused on a lot um, with the understanding of crypto understanding of Bitcoin and then kind of understanding of DeFi. And now how do you produce long-term purchase contracts of hash rate? Really? I think that's the question that I'm asking myself on a daily, daily basis. And the question that is, uh, you know, quickly becoming a, a real need in this space and a real gap to fill kind of, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the whole financing of miners is, is very difficult because of the stability of the industry, even though in my opinion, Bitcoin mining has the opportunity and potentially is the best, debt-based investment, the most stable debt-based investment out there um, for for infrastructure, for institutions to, uh, to, to come into. JP, yeah. this, this has been uh, a fascinating and enlightening conversation. And uh, I, I wish it could go on and on and on forever and ever, because I'm sure we, <laughs> I, we, I we have... Too. We have so many things that we haven't even really even, you know, touched yet. You know, we haven't touched like, you know, what your future thoughts are, you know, going to happen on the happening. What do you see four years out? Um, you know, we haven't so many other things that we could talk about. So many different other paths we can go. But I would like to now ask you, you know, how can people in our audience reach out to you if they want to continue the conversation? What's a good way that they can contact you and um, yeah, get in touch. Yeah, for me, um, I used to have a Twitter. It was at JP Barrett. No longer have that Twitter. Um, I'm trying to get it back. I don't know what happened to it. So the best way to contact me is um, probably we have we have an email newsletter um, that go on miningstore.com. Um, submit the contact us form there, and that'll get you on the newsletter um, mm-hmm. and the sales list. If you're an investor, an institutional investor. Uh, just let us know and we'll put you on a different list where we send out high level energy level related podcasts. And I'll actually send Scott something to put in the show notes that has like a direct sign up um, for those newsletters. So it'd be easier for people, but that's the best way to keep in touch with me. Um, if you want, you can follow me on Instagram at JP Barrick, <laughs> uh, telegram at mining store. So yeah, I appreciate it. All right. That is awesome. awesome. That is fantastic. And and I'm glad you're a part of our industry because one of these days, I'm going to need to retire, and I, I can hand the reins over to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, JP, uh, thanks for coming on and, and telling us your story. Yeah, I, I think we should have you on maybe a, a, again in the near future, and we could talk, you know, more about economics and yeah, and, and the, the mining community and and just uh, some of your other uh, projects that you're working on uh, outside of USA as, as well. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy to sure. talk. <laughs> very, very interesting stuff that that mining store is doing these days. And and so, the only person I've actually met that was a miner when they were a miner. Thanks. That's there you go. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you stole my line. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mining since he was a miner. Right. <laughs> All right, JP. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, we'll thanks uh, a lot talk to you guys again. It. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.